This is day 176 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing two books of the Bible today. We'll be completing Hosea chapters 13 and 14, and then we will complete the three chapters that are in Joel. Lord God, thank you for your mercies that are fresh every morning. Thank you for your love and compassion on a people who do not deserve it. We thank you, Lord, for being such a shining example to us. Lord, we have your preserved word that has been preserved for us throughout generations and eras and dynasties and so many things, Lord, and yet you have preserved it perfectly for us, for our instruction. We thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for him coming into the world to do what he did to save us. But beyond that, Lord, allowing us to be declared righteous in your sight by his imputation of his righteousness, by living a perfect life beyond just the cross, Lord. But thank you for living the perfect life as an example to us so that we can be righteous in your sight. Lord, such glory that we do not deserve. It's hard to imagine, but we are grateful for what you have given us. Please bless this time as we enter into your word. May your wisdom shine forth. In Jesus' name, amen. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He exalted himself in Israel. But through Baal, he did wrong and died. And now they sin more and more, and make for themselves molten images, idols, skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. They say of them, Let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they will be like the morning cloud, and like dew which soon disappears, like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor, and like smoke from a chimney. Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied, and being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. So I was like a lion to them. Like a leopard, I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open their chests. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. Where now is your king, that he may save you in all your cities? And your judges, of whom you requested, give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger, and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is stored up. The pains of childbirth come upon him, he is not a wise son. For it is not the time that he should delay at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Though he flourishes among the reeds, 
an east wind will come, the wind of the Lord coming up from the wilderness, and his fountain will become dry, and his spring will be dried up. It will plunder his treasury of every precious article. Samaria will be held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword, like little ones they will be dashed to pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, Our God, to the work of our hands. For in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days? or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it, and let your sons tell their sons, and their sons the next generation. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you wine drinkers on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up 
and the fig tree fails. The pomegranate, the palm also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our eyes, gladness and joy from the house of our God? The seeds shrivel under their clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan! The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Blow a trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it, to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the top of the mountains. Like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers. And they each march in line, nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march every one in his own path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, 
Return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not return and relent and leave a blessing behind him? even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, Weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, Where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land, and will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied in full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. But I will remove the northern army far from you, and I will drive it into a parched and desolate land, and its vanguard into the eastern sea, and its rear guard into the western sea and its stench will arise, and its foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured out for you the rain, the early and latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. My great army, which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. 
the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there, on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. And they have divided up my land. They have also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me, swiftly and speedily I will return your recompense on your head. Since you have taken my silver and my gold, brought my precious treasures to your temples, and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, in order to remove them far from their territory? Behold, I am going to arouse them from the place where you have sold them, and return your recompense on your head. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation. For the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, Multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy, and strangers will pass through it no more. And in that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. 
Egypt will become a waste, and Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence done to the sons of Judah, in whose land they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem for all generations. And I will avenge their blood, which I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Okay, so we have officially entered into the territory of the minor prophets. Hosea is widely considered to be the final of the major prophets only because of the length of the book that they wrote. But it doesn't mean that they're any more important than the minor prophets, which are the shorter books from Joel on, but they just have they're just shorter books. So that's just what it is. So at this point, it's going to be a sprint to the end of the Old Testament. So Congratulations for completing two books of the Bible today. So let's briefly discuss what's going on in Hosea before we get into Joel. So here in chapter 13, Hosea is still discussing with the Lord speaking most of the time. The nation of Israel has been going through a vicious cycle. And this is the cycle that has been going on from the very beginning. If you read verses 4 through 6, it makes sense as to the cycle that goes on even in our own lives. Because I made a little notation at the bottom of my Bible that I said at one point that I have been here many times in verse 6. The same cycle that humanity falls prey to at the hand of Satan. So this is what it says. Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt. And you are not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. He's telling him, why are you looking anywhere else for a God when I'm the one who directly was involved in your deliverance from Egypt, and I'm the only one there is? You keep making gods for yourself, but they are not real gods. I am the only God. I'm the only one who speaks. I'm the only one who acts. I'm the only one with power. There is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. That applies literally to the Israelites, but also applies to us as well. He was compassionate and gracious to us in our land of droughts. Our days of trials and of darkness and of hardships, he was still there and he was still working in us. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. Do you remember the other day I mentioned how some fertile, very luxurious places in the world tend to be the ones where the most pride and arrogance comes from? I think this is where this is related to that. When we get to a place where things are good in our own lives, we get complacent, don't we? We get complacent with our relationship with God. And then we get to the point where we're like, you know what, Lord, things are going so well right now that I don't need you at the moment. Go help somebody else who needs you more than I do right now, because I'm good. Leave me here in this pasture. I don't need you anymore, Lord. And then they forget. We all forget, don't we? Don't we always do that? And oh, it's so frustrating, isn't it? It's so frustrating that we do this. 
we get to the point where the Lord blesses us so much, and we are so satisfied in our hearts, so content. And then we think, you know what? I forgot exactly how I even got here. I must have gotten here by myself, or circumstances have just been working for me. So I don't need God anymore. That is the wrong, exact opposite thing we should be doing, right? We should be praising and rejoicing in the Lord our God in the good times, not forgetting about him. Without him, we would not have the good times. And we are only in the good times because he sustains us there. What a shame. What a shame that we, in our sinful ways, do that. We exalt ourselves when the Lord blesses us. When things are not well for us, we blame him. He never wins, does he? That's not fair. That's not fair that we do that to him. And yet we fall into this cycle repeatedly. That is the human nature. And it's so frustrating to look at, and yet in the moment you're so powerless over it sometimes because you're doing it yourself. Oh man, I am looking forward to the end when we don't have to worry about this anymore. I am ready to shed off this mortal coil and this sinful nature that's within me to get my glorified self. I look forward to that day so much where I don't have to be an utter failure all the time. But thank God that he has compassion and mercy on us, and he knows our hearts. He knows that we, as believers, are his children. But sometimes we don't give him the priority that he deserves. I can't speak for everyone, but he knows your heart. If he knows you're trying, but you're struggling, that's better than purposely not caring, right? I would think so. When we get to chapter 14, it goes from being more of a contemporary time uh, that is explaining here to the future time. Again, now it's jumping to the millennial kingdom. So what it's discussing is the future blessing of Israel in the millennium. And even today, they are still God's chosen people, and we are still supposed to support them. That, that covenant has never stopped. And then he leaves us in verse 9 with an exhortation. Walk in the ways of the Lord and do not stumble. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, and transgressors will stumble in them. The ways of the Lord are right. So why would we want to try anything else? Why would we want to try and go our own way when we know it's going to fail? Deep down inside, I think we know that as believers. We know that when we go off track, we know that when we sin against the Lord, that our way is going to fail. But yet we do it anyway. Why do we do that? It's frustrating, isn't it? And that ends the book of Hosea. That takes us into the book of Joel. So Joel is a man whose name means Yahweh is God. The Lord is our God, right? So it's kind of hard at first to tell because it doesn't really mention it, but Joel seems to be written somewhere when King Joash 
was the king of Judah. So that's a little further back in history. So what we see in Joel's day is there was a severe drought and an invasion of locusts, like grasshoppers, flying grasshoppers. And Joel saw this as a punishment for the sins of the people. And so he's also depicting that the in the future days, in the end times, that these locusts are symbolic of a large army that are, is going to be a harbinger for a future military campaign in the day of the Lord, which is the Battle of Armageddon. So he sees that parallel, and he describes that parallel to us in this scripture. So chapter 1 is describing the current situation in the land, that everything's being stripped bare. There's a mighty amount of locusts, and I don't know if you've ever seen those online, but they, they happen today as well in great numbers. And do you imagine that being going on today and how this is probably exponentially more is mind-blowing? Where I've seen videos of it in like India and Northern Africa where these huge clouds of locusts just come and swarm in and just start destroying crops and wildlife. And it's just crazy to look at because there's millions of them, and they look like a black cloud moving through the sky that is buzzing loudly. It's amazing to look at, frightening even. And to think that something like that happened across the nation of Israel and destroyed all their crops, all their fruits, all their trees, that's crazy. But this is what happened in this in this day. And the nation is mourning its loss. But Joel is trying to show them in chapter 1 that this is your doing. You need to repent, and you need to return to the Lord, because this is why it's happening. You have allowed this to happen because of your unfaithfulness. But then, near the end of chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, he goes into, The day of the Lord is near and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. So he's comparing it to the end as well, but the main thing is this, and this is something that kind of like we were reading last night at church with Matthew chapter 3, with the baptism of Jesus Christ. In the book of Mark as well, Jesus and John the Baptist both say one thing. That's interesting. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what does that mean? It means that it's coming soon. And you need to be ready. The king is coming to visit you, and you need to be ready. Your heart needs to be ready. And you need to be baptized in in John's day. And John was baptizing people, not like we get baptized today, but he baptized in repentance. He was baptizing people in order to be washed and be made clean inside. Not just outside, but inside. And that is what is being told here to us, is, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. And then he describes all these different things about it, but ultimately, what does he say? He says, Repent and return to the Lord before this day comes. Because when he comes, it's too late. We don't know when it's going to come. 
And when he does come, it will be too late. They waited for their Messiah to come for thousands of years, just like we today are waiting thousands of years for the end to come. And so when Jesus actually came, their Messiah was not what they expected. He was not the hero that came in on a white horse with an army of a million people and wiped out the Romans. That's not what he came to do. They did not understand that. Even a few chapters later, John the Baptist seems concerned about it because he has doubts, because he didn't appear the way that Jesus was supposed to appear in his mind. God has his agenda, and ultimately, it doesn't matter what it looks like. But what matters is the condition of your heart before that time comes. Where are you at? And where do you need to be? Because your king is coming. We don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. And we need to be ready. And until he comes, we are working for him. You see a lot of this parallel in the book of Joel in more illustrative language, but that's exactly what he's talking about here. In chapter 2, the first 11 verses seem to describe an army of locusts that is not really locusts this time. This is more talking about during the tribulation period where demons are going to be amassed like locusts. And they are going to go into battle against the army of angels led by Jesus Christ in his second return and by Michael the archangel. The land of Palestine is going to be reduced to a wilderness, if we understand verse 3. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them. So as they go forth, it starts fertile and prosperous, but as soon as they cross through it, it just gets laid waste. It's going to be disturbing, and that's why all this language here is very strong language as to what's going to happen at the end. Verse 13, this is where action comes into play here for the current time. Rend your heart and not your garments. Interesting. Fix the problem inside and not outside. Don't tear your clothes with the external demonstration of your stress, because so many people do it, and it's fake. It's phony. It's counterfeit. The problem is internal. So fix the internal. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Why? Because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. There you go. There's your motivation right there. Then you have verse 14. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a drink offering or a grain offering for the Lord your God. What do you have to lose? If you know that God will be pleased by what you're doing, don't you think he would bless you in some way? In fact, later on in the chapter, he does exactly that. And you see that in verse 25. Then I will make up to you for the years that the locust has eaten. Imagine that. All the loss that you have experienced, I will restore it and multiply it. 
Think about Job. Job lost everything. He lost his kids. He lost all his possessions. He lost his health. He lost his wife saying, curse God and die. And then at the end, it was all restored to him double. God can easily make up for lost time. And I love that about when we look back in our past. I was recently doing some mental math about how much of my life I have lost from video games. I have put in tens of thousands of hours, kid you not, in my lifetime in video games. And by me doing that, I have lost about 25% of my life, almost 25%, nine and a half years. That's a long time to play video games. And so many times in the past, I had been living in regret and beating myself up for my absolute failure. But then I read this and I have hope. I can make up to you for the years that have been lost. Imagine that. All those years that we have wasted in our lives for our selfishness, our living in our sin before we're, we're saved. He can make up for them. How glorious is that? How beautiful that is. Praise God that he would do this. Then it comes to the final part of chapter 2, where it mentions in verse 28, It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. This is a very interesting piece of Scripture because Peter said this in the book of Acts. And he said this when? Right after Pentecost. Right after the Holy Spirit came and fell on them with flaming tongues. This is a prophecy of the Pentecost. And that's amazing that that's there. And then finally, chapter 3. Chapter 3 describes the second coming of Christ. And when he does return, Israel will be regathered to the land of Palestine. And also at the second coming, like we see verses 2 and 3, the Gentiles will be judged for their treatment of Israel. So if you don't think Israel needs to be protected now, you're wrong. And unfortunately, we have a current president who is against Israel. He is siding with Palestine. And that's not good. Israel needs to be honored and protected because they are still God's people. Verses 4 through 8 show that there's going to be a judgment on the Phoenicians, on the Philistines, and other people that have enslaved and conquered Israel in times past. And they will be destroyed themselves. They will be avenged. And then the, the rest of the chapter describes something called the Battle of Armageddon, which you can compare this to Micah, which we'll get to soon, but you see a lot of stuff that's going to go on here that is going to happen in the end. So we have that to look forward to. And then we have the final piece of hope in verse 18. And in that day, the day of the Lord, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. 
and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord. Why? Because the Messiah will be reigning on the throne. He will have won. He will be victorious. And because of that, all of creation will rejoice. How beautiful to end this story, isn't it? So tomorrow we will begin the book of Amos. And this one's a little bit longer, but we will go through it like we do all the rest of them and see what the Lord has for us. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.